Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to the Houghton Wesleyan Church this morning as we gather as God's family and we focus today on joy. Please stand and join us as we sing together God's praises with our hearts full of joy for all that he has done for us.
God, we worship you today as our Lord, our Savior, our King, and we've come to rejoice in you. Thank you for bringing us together and let our praise honor you, bring joy to you, and help us to experience your joy in our lives. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. couple of things to uh, highlight that are in your bulletin tonight. Small groups continue meeting. If you aren't a part of a group and you'd like to be, it's not too late to, to jump in. The groups are, are uh, discussing what we talk about here on Sunday mornings. So it's a continuation of that. Uh, if you're interested in being a part of a group, just talk to me after the service or Pastor Kevin or any of the staff and we'll get you connected to uh, the groups. Koinonia is at 7 in Wesley Chapel, time of worship uh, up on campus. I just want to mention to you as well that uh, during this uh, time when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, we are putting together uh, just a small recipe book, and there's a sign-up sheet on the back table if you have a recipe in your mind about some of the fruit that we're going to be connecting to the fruit of the Spirit. uh, You can see those back there. We'd love to have your recipes as a part of the book, and you can sign up this morning after service or in the next few weeks as well. Uh, There are always things for us to pray about. Uh, We certainly want to continue praying about the needs that we have here as well as the needs around the world, including uh, the uh, recovery of the situation in Nairobi, uh, the church in Pakistan uh, that uh, terrorist bombers uh, attacked a week or so ago, an earthquake in Pakistan yesterday. It just seems every day there is something else going on in our world, tragedies, and we certainly need to be in prayer about those things as well as the burdens that are uh, immediately connected to us. We, we like to take a few moments uh, at the beginning, near the beginning of, of each uh, academic year to, uh, to pray for those who are in ministry in our church and through our church. And uh, we want to do that this morning. So if you were involved in, uh, in leading, helping, connecting with uh, the various ministries of our church, and I'd like for you to stand uh, and this is stuff that goes on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, things throughout the week, like uh, Meals on Wheels or uh, other kinds of outreach. Um, there are all kinds of things from the committees. We want you to stand, and we want to just offer a word of prayer for you. The people who are standing here are, you know, we're not doing... Uh, Herculean things necessarily, but just simply using the gifts that God's given us, responding to the ways in which God is calling us to serve, and we want to ask God's grace and blessing on each of you. Father, we thank you for every person who stands here before us today. We know that you are pleased with our willingness to serve. We pray that you will give to us a spirit of humility, of love and compassion, Most of all, help us to rely on you and to trust you for all that we do in the various settings and the various ways in which we do ministry for you and your kingdom. We pray that you would give to each person a 
a sense of grace and strength for everything that comes and, and help them to see fruit from service and ministry to you and to us and, and to others around us. We pray that you would give us a spirit of joy as we serve. And we ask that that joy would be contagious and that it would inspire us to more and more ministry to one another and to this world. Father, be glorified in our lives, in our ministry. And as we work together, may we be a part of bringing your kingdom and your kingdom purposes to earth as they are in heaven. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We can ask the ushers to come and assist us as we give our tithes and offerings. Feed the wings, good love. 
As we pray together this morning, if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please join me. Father, we, we all wrestle with burdens, a, s- a sense of anxiety weighs on us. Sometimes peace feels so elusive and hope out of reach. Sometimes it's busyness or the pressure of expectations. Sometimes we forget about each other, that our lives are are intertwined with each other. We forget that you create us for unity and compassion and love. And so this morning we pray that you will help us to be more aware of each other and help us to care more and more about each other. Help us to see one another as you see us. Give us compassion for each other. And we pray that our relationships would bring joy to our lives and glory to you. Father, our world is a sea of hurting people. Famine, poverty, slavery, abuse, terrorism, natural disasters. We pray, Father, that you would bring healing to our world and that you would give us such a passion for you and for the people of this world that we would be channels of peace and truth and justice and compassion. We pray for the people who are still dealing with the effects of this terrorist attack in Nairobi, the church in Pakistan. We pray for the people who are attempting to recover from the earthquake in Pakistan and other places where natural disasters have brought grief and pain and loss. We pray for your power to be at work. Father, we pray for our own government as it struggles to deal with the issues before it and the threat of a a shutdown of the government. And we see a heightened sense of of partisan politics and grasping for power. And we pray, Father, that somehow you would intervene in a way that is good for those who are the weakest among us, the most vulnerable in our nation, and the most needy. Father, we pray for the needs that are right among us, our grief and our hurts, the pains that 
we struggle with and the healing that we need. And we ask for your mercy upon us. Father, help us to pray with confidence because you are the almighty God and nothing is too great for you. And help us to pray with joy because we know that you hear our prayers and that you help us. Help us to pray with gratitude because you've already done so much and you promised to do even more. Let our lives be so fully open to you that our natural default is humble obedience and transparent worship and compassionate love. We pray all of this because of Christ. In his name, through his grace, remembering the prayer that he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The scripture reading for today is John 16, 17 through 24. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, but then after a little while you will see me? And what does he mean by, Because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I'll see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Please remain standing while the children ages 2 to 4 can be dismissed for children's church, and children ages kindergarten through third grade can be dismissed for junior church.
Please be seated. As I mentioned last week, uh, one of the things that we're doing during this series is uh, connecting uh, literal fruit to the fruit of the Spirit so that it might help us carry the ideas that we're talking about in terms of spiritual fruit into our lives. And so last week we talked about love and, and uh, we used uh, the fruit of strawberry that, you know, sometimes is associated with valentines and, and, uh, and loving people. And, and so our goal is that uh, every time you see a strawberry, you will think about love and about God's call to love and that will trigger that response for you. It's interesting, this week I had a couple of people say to me, we've been batting around at our home as to what's going to be the fruit that's connected to joy. And, uh, and, and having a, an idea of, of trying to figure out what that is. Well, as you see from the painting this morning, and uh, Bev Rett is doing an awesome job painting these each week. Uh, the fruit we're connecting with joy is watermelon. Now you may be wondering why we're doing that. Well, for one thing... Watermelon is one of those fruits that you, we, don't, we eat it unlike we eat any other kind of fruit. You know, there's something about the way you eat watermelon. It's connected with picnics and times of enjoyment. And, and nobody seems to be able to eat and enjoy watermelon like children. Here's a few examples. Now, when you look at those pictures, does that make you think about God? Does it make you think about the kingdom of heaven? Does it make you think about the church? It seems to me that something about that, those kinds of pictures, ought to elicit a a joyful response about God and his kingdom and his people. Because it's Jesus who says... If you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to come to me like a little child. And Paul writes to us that among the fruit of the Spirit, what it, among what happens when the Spirit fills us, when we are walking in the Spirit, one of the things that comes out of us is joy. And there ought to be a sense of when we watch, we see children having fun, and children are so awesome at, at joy and laughter and play. And the only reason they tend to not be, or the primary reason they tend to not be, is because of us. It's adults that squash that joy in children. Most of the time, children have this innate ability and desire to be joyful, to laugh and to have fun. And it's only when they hang out with us that that changes, quite frankly. And Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you've got to come to me like a little child. You need this this spirit, this sense of, 
of childlikeness, this freedom, this joy, coming to God in a spirit of fun and play and happiness. It's one of the defining characteristics of being filled with the Spirit, of walking in the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is not just love, it's joy. Joy has been God's design for his people from the beginning. It's what he's always wanted for his people. He created us to be joyful. In the Old Testament, we find this a number of times, God saying this to people. Deuteronomy 16, Jesus talks about how he wants his people to come together and celebrate a feast and to be joyful because I want your joy to be complete. Not just a little bit. You know, this is not, we sort of, we sort of feel joyful for a little while and maybe we go a little ways. This is complete joy. Jesus picks up that theme over and over again. But it's, it's intriguing to me that in the last hours of his life before he goes to the cross, Jesus is talking about joy. In John 15, he says to his disciples, I have told you all of this so that your joy may be complete. John 17, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things to you because I want you to be filled with my joy. And Paul sort of summarizes the whole thing in his letter to the Thessalonian church by saying, always be joyful. This is God's plan for his people, to be joyful, to celebrate, to rejoice. Unfortunately, we don't always give off that vibe. The church sometimes has a reputation for being anything but joyful. Years ago, I saw a cartoon of a guy sitting in the subway. And, and this is, I actually have it here. And the, the woman, he says to this woman, no, ma'am, I'm not a preacher. I've just been ill for a few days. Man, you talk about hitting the nail on the head, right? It, we, we don't give off this vibe of joy so often. I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a, a person that is a, watches The Simpsons very much. Maybe some of you are. And as people talk to me about it, there are a lot of religious themes that are woven through this sort of irreverent uh, cartoon show. But... but I was reading about one of the episodes the other day, and it's the episode where the Ned Flanders, who is the neighbor of the Simpsons, he's a Christian guy. His wife, Maud, dies, and in her honor, he builds this Christian amusement park called Praiseland. And, and this park is, is filled with all of these kinds of uh, things that he thinks ought to be in a Christian amusement park. And so you have a whack-a-Satan game, you know, like that whack-a-mole game. And, and there's, there's King David's wild ride where these children go into a spook house and they're forced to listen to all 150 psalms recited to them. <laughs> and there's a rock and ark and a tower of Babel slide. And there's a tithing pond. And there's a candy kiosk where all the candy's the same. And of course, all of it is plain, plain candy. And in the middle of this amusement park is this statue of his wife, Maud. And under the statue is this plaque that says, she taught us the joy of shame 
and the shame of joy. And there is something to that. That people look at us and say, man, I don't want that. I don't really see any joy in that life. Why would I be attracted to that? Why would I want that? Someone was talking about C.S. Lewis and how being a joyful Christian is so unusual that when we find somebody who is, the anthology of their writings, like Lewis's, we call it the joyful Christian because it's so odd to find one. And we ought to, we ought to be convicted by that. We ought to wonder what kind of perspective, what image of the world are we presenting? What image to the world are we presenting? Scripture says we ought to be the most joyous people on earth. We ought to be the people who, who they look at us and say, those folks have got something I want. They have got a joy in their lives that I don't see. Now, part of it is defining what, it means, what we mean by joy. You know, when we, when we talk about joy in our culture, it's, it is almost always defined as getting what I want. I, I'm going to be joyful because I get what I want. That's what culture keeps telling us. You can only be joyful if you get what you are seeking to get for yourself. And everything about our culture it keeps reinforcing that. You, you take a few moments the next time you're watching television and just... Just analyze the commercials that come on the television and how things are sold. Everything is sold in a way that makes us think if we buy this product, we will find joy. It's all about us. You buy this car, you'll feel joy. If you, if you, if you buy this food, you will find joy. If you wear these clothes, you will find joy. If you take this vacation, you will find joy. If you go to this entertainment venue, you will find joy. If you buy the right deodorant, you will find joy. You know, whatever it is, something about this product is going to bring us joy because that's all that the culture thinks about. It's about fulfilling what we want for ourselves. It's all about me. And even our nation, at the very beginning of our nation, you know, that one of the most important documents that got us started says... We have these unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's all about me. And when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the question that keeps going through my mind is, what is it about the fruit of the Spirit that makes it different from these kinds of of characteristics outside of the fruit of the Spirit? Because quite frankly, everybody thinks, most people think love's is a good thing and joy is a good thing and peace is a good thing and gentleness and and goodness. Those are all good things. So what is it that that sets apart the fruit of the Spirit? And I think a lot of it is our definition. When we read the Scriptures, the spirit of joy in the Scriptures is not so much about getting what I want as it is engaging ourselves with God. It's about engaging our lives with God, whether we get everything we want or not. And it begins with with recognizing that all joy is rooted in God. Everything about joy, genuine, real joy that scriptures talk about is about God. 
You see it in the works of God and the nature of God and who God is and what God does. And so when Jesus is born into the world and the angels sing to the shepherds, what do they say? I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. When Jesus is resurrected from the dead and the disciples begin to comprehend what has happened, the women hurry away from the tomb filled with joy. He's not dead, he's alive. And the people come, the disciples come, and they worship Jesus, and they're filled with joy. It is about focusing on God and what God wants to do in our lives because we have come to realize that joy from God is better than joy about getting what we want. And that's hard for us because that implies that somehow we will experience joy even when life is a struggle. That's contrary to how we tend to think because again, we feel, we believe joy comes when life is good and positive, we get what we want. But the scriptures keep reminding us over and over again that joy is deeper than that, it's bigger than that. And one of the reasons joy is a fruit of the Spirit and it's different from the rest of the joy is that we can experience joy even when we are struggling with life. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I know you're going through difficult things, but rejoice. Feel joy. Be joyful. James says at the very beginning of his letter, count it joy even when you endure trials and difficulties. And we read that kind of thing and we scratch our heads and we think, how can that possibly be? I'm not getting what I want. Life is hard. I'm in turmoil. I'm, being, I'm disappointed. I'm struggling. I'm being opposed and even oppressed. And he's writing, these people are writing to folks who are even persecuted. And yet Paul talks about joy. Now, it doesn't minimize the struggles that we face. I'm convinced that no one should be more honest about what we face in life than Christians. This whole concept of the joy of the Lord in our lives does not mean that we are in denial about what's really happening in our lives. It is not denial about the pain that we may be facing or the struggles that we're going through. In fact, we are, we are looking at those head on. We are acknowledging this is painful. This is difficult. This is a struggle. I don't want this. I don't like this. How can I avoid this? We are honest about life. We're not trying to run from it. We're honestly engaging it. But because of God, because of Christ, even as we engage it, there is this underlying current, this this river in our lives of joy. Because we worship a God who is greater than the struggles we are facing. We worship a God who has overcome every enemy that's ever come against him and been victorious. And all of us who are in him are victorious too. And so as as we walk in the spirit, 
The Spirit gives us joy even as we face difficulties. J. Oswald Sanders once said that happiness and unhappiness don't go together, but joy and sorrow can and do. So if we talk, if we phrase it in terms of I'm happy or I'm unhappy, then those are sort of mutually exclusive, but not joy and sorrow. Because God gives us, He gives us strength. He gives us hope even when life is difficult. But I think there's even another level of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and experience joy. It's not just about when we are struggling, but the deeper level is we are struggling and other people are being blessed. There are people in our lives that... We, we look at them and we think, you know, they're, they're not living the way they should. They're, they are, you know, they're, they're not as spiritual as we are. They're not as committed to God as we are. And we're facing difficulties and struggles and they're getting blessed. No wonder Paul says right before the fruit of the Spirit that some of the, the works of the, of the evil nature are envy and jealousy. We get envious of people who are being blessed when we're not. And we think we deserve it and they don't. There's a passage in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus and disciples are out and disciples come to Jesus and they say, Hey, there was a guy we ran into who was, um, who was healing in your name and we didn't know him so we made him quit. We stopped him. And Jesus chastises them. He says, what are you doing? You don't, may not know him. He may not be one of our followers. But if he's doing it in my name, this is a good thing. And he says, anyone who's not against us is for us. What I find intriguing is that we often quote that turned around. We often quote that as anyone who's not for us is against us. And the difference is subtle, but important. Because there is a sense in the way Jesus says it, of this openness. That we ought to be excited about what God is doing in and through people, whether they're a part of us or not. As opposed to continually putting limits on what God can do, and who he can do it with, and how he does it. You know, this whole letter of Galatians is about freedom and, and God wanting to, to set his people free and give them liberty. The liberty to be joyful even when life is hard and the liberty to be joyful even when other people are blessed and our lives are not. And we're always putting boxes around God, what he can't do. And we say, God, that's so unfair. How could you bless them and not me? And Jesus' answer to us is, who says I'm not blessing you? Who says I'm not doing something in your life through this difficulty, through this hardship that you may not be able to see now, but eventually you're going to come through it and realize I was at work. He says to his disciples and John 16, he says, right now you're grieving and the, as I go to the cross, the rest of the world is celebrating. But eventually, that's going to be turned around. 
And this is our hope. That's why we have joy. Joy is all about hope. We believe that God is bigger and greater and he's at work even when it feels like he's not. We live in a world in which despair seems to be the most common response. And it's hard not to feel despair. We just read the newspaper, go onto a website, and story after story after story just is depressing. You know, what's happening in our country, what's happening in other countries, all of the ways in which it seems like everything is turned upside down. And it's so easy to feel despairing about life and the world and where everything is headed. And we forget, we've got Jesus. And that changes everything. We worship the risen Christ. And instead of despair, we have hope. We have hope that God is still in control, even when it feels like he's not. We have hope and we have every reason to rejoice because God is greater than any of the stuff that's going on in our lives or in this world. And instead of responding with cynicism, we respond with hope. Instead of running away in fear, we stand tall with the spirit of joy and hope, not because of us, but because of Christ who is victorious. As you think about your life and the way that we respond individually and corporately to everything that's going on in the world, everything is a part of our lives, everything is a part of what's happening in our lives and in this world, we are continually confronted with a choice to respond in cynicism and despair or to respond in joy and hope. And one of the signs of the Spirit at work in us, one of the signs of, of the Spirit doing something unusual in us is this passion and this desire of our hearts to be joyful. And why are we joyful? Because God rejoices in us. We bring joy to God. I have to admit, that's a concept that I am still wrapping my mind around. That my life, my existence brings joy to God. But I'm convinced that it does. I'm convinced that every one of us brings joy to God because we are his loved children. And so when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall and going through all of that process and facing the opposition and the struggles and the difficulties. And, and he says to the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think what he means is you have strength to keep going when the opposition is about to bowl you over because God finds joy in you. You bring joy to God. Are we perfect? Of course not. Do we mess up? Do we struggle? Of course we do. 
we bring joy to God. Luke 15 tells us, Jesus tells the parables about, about the, the woman who loses her coin. She has 10 of them. She loses this valuable coin. She finds it, throws a great party, invites all her friends. Tells the story of a shepherd who has a lost sheep and he goes out and he finds him and he brings him back and throws this great party. He tells the story of the, of the son who, who takes his inheritance and, and goes out and gets lost in the world and comes back and his father celebrates and throws a great party. And it struck me as I was pondering those stories not too long ago that in none of the stories is the woman, the shepherd, or the father irritated about what was lost. They just celebrate what's found. It's all about celebration. The only person in the stories who's irritated is the older brother who's jealous. There is something about God celebrating us, celebrating who we are, celebrating what we allow him to do in our lives, celebrating his grace on us, and celebrating our responses to him. I was reading a story recently about about a guy who took his three-year-old daughter trick-or-treating for the first time. They, uh, it was one of those nights, one of those nights, you know, where it's just this autumn night where it's just pouring down rain. It was a miserable night, cold, rainy. Debated whether to go or not, but he figured, well, you know, she was excited, so he said, okay. But instead of walking from house to house, he decided to drive. So he, he got her in the car, in the car seat. He buckled her in got her all settled, and ran around to the front seat, got in the car, and drove to the first house. He gets out. He's wrestling with the umbrella. You know that feeling. You're trying to get out of the car and get the umbrella open without being drenched by rain. And he gets out, and he, and he gets, goes around the other side of the car, opens the door, unhooks her from the car seat. He's got her in one hand, and he's got her little bucket in the other, and the umbrella, and he's walking up to the door, you know that, trying to handle all that, and, and rings the doorbell, and, and the door opens, and there's this, you know kind of thing, you know, that you get on trick-or-treat and gives her the candy and, and they go back to the car and now he's got to reverse the process. And so he's trying to hold the umbrella up and get her into the car seat and leaning over and getting her all buckled back into the car seat again and, and getting her settled. And by the time he gets back around into the driver's seat, I mean, he's just drenched. And it's, he's cold and he's wet. And he's thinking, should we just Stop. No, we'll go on. So then he drives to the next house and he starts going through the ritual again. He gets out with the umbrella and he runs around the other side of the car. He opens the door. He unlatches her seat. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she understands what's going on. And she looks up at him and her eyes are about this big. And the smile is just, just exploding on her face. And she says, you mean we get to do it again? And he said, you know, in that moment, I didn't care that I was drenched. I didn't care that it was cold. I just was so thrilled to see the joy in my little girl. 
And Jesus said, if you love who are sinful, love to bring joy to your children, how much more your loving heavenly Father? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Heavenly Father, sometimes it's hard for us to really understand how much joy you want us to experience. Life is hard and it's painful. And we get lost in it. Help us, Father, to be channels of joy because we are overwhelmed with your joy. Pray this through Christ. Amen. As we're getting ready to sing the last song, I want to to give you some opportunities again to contemplate, to respond to God's desire for joy in us. There are little cards in the aisles, outside, inside of the rows. I want to make sure everybody gets one of those. If you're here last week, we did this as well, and we'll be doing this every week. Today, before the day is done, I want you to write on that card something that God is speaking to you about related to joy. It might be something in your life that you need to to give to Him and to ask Him to fill you with joy. It might be a circumstance that's just burdening you and you're not feeling joy. Whatever the case may be, something that will connect you with the joy God desires to put into our lives. And as I said last week, put it on your mirror, put it by your bedside, on your desk, somewhere to remind you. And I'm going to ask all of us to, to commit to pray five minutes a day this week for God to fill us with joy. Might be in the morning, evening, throughout the day, at least five minutes a day, asking God to make us joyful people. Help us to see the reasons we have to be joyful and to experience His joy in our lives. And this morning, as the service is done, if if you'd like to talk with someone, have somebody pray with you about something specific in your life or in a general way, there, there are elders who are down by the prayer room, who uh, after the service will be glad to, to visit with you, listen to you, pray with you. Just go down the steps to the basement, to the prayer room, and they'll be available as they will be throughout these next couple of months to pray with us as we think more and ask God to fill us with his joy. Let's stand as we sing.
As you go, may you know the love of Christ. How deep and long, how high and wide. As you leave, may you seek to win the prize and find his death to be your life. May you go. As dearly loved children, may you go from this place filled with the joy of the Lord, who is our strength. Amen.